and welcome to the Trouble with the Snap podcast. I am Tyler Hayward. Be sure to check us out on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify under Trouble with the Snap podcast. Uh, you can find Facebook by look. You can find us on Facebook by looking up the exact same. Uh, we have links to our past shows on there, so be sure to like and follow that page. Share all the content if you would be so kind. We got some huge news coming down that I'm hoping to drop this weekend via a Facebook video, uh, Facebook Live. So I'm hoping, again, that it's this weekend, but I'm not making any promises. If not, it should be by next week. Uh, Look, we're going to do a little little preseason fun, Spartan superlative type game. But first, look, massive news coming down recently regarding MSU Athletics. And that's former Michigan State gymnast Liam Mitchell signing a WWE contract. <laughs> no, I'm, I, can, I'm kidding. Can we get Liam in the steel cage with Juwan Howard? Yeah, I feel like Juwan Howard's got that reach. You saw it last season. Um, <laughs> but look, no, seriously, the big news, Tom Izzo, a lifetime contract, I think for the second time is what it feels like, but – uh, it's it makes him the second highest paid coach in the nation, and look, despite what you'll get a very vocal minority saying when you're stupid like me and you read the comments, um, because it just makes me mad. He doesn't deserve it. I'm almost done reading the comment section, but it's like a a, a car crash. You can't help but look, and it, as much as I like to bag on the Ann Arbor crowd. Oy, some of our fans are insufferable. Well, yeah, you look at it. We talked about the snake bitten years that Tom Izzo had. I think you were on the show with me when I was doing that. We talked about Lucas's mm-hmm. Achilles. We talked about Keith Appling shooting wrists, both basketball and guns. And we talked about <laughs> when Rudy Gobert shut down the world. And it's like those were three years where, you know, just – one guy doesn't get hurt. That's a national title. It feels like a national title anyway, or COVID doesn't happen. Michigan state was playing better than anybody in the country when, uh, the NCAA yeah. shut it down. And yep. so you, at, you factor those years in, then you throw in the fact that Tom Izzo two years ago had his best class or had his, uh, best team since 2000. And then you factor in that he's got, a class coming in next season led by Xavier Booker that looks to be just every bit as special as you can get. And people think he doesn't deserve it. I think it's laughable because I think he should be the highest paid coach in the country because the current highest paid coach in the country is splitting his pro is uh, splitting the university apart. Yeah. The little uh, beef on Twitter there that you and I were talking about this morning Tom Izzo having a lifetime contract. I swear I, I did a double take. I thought for sure he was already on one, you know, probably the worst kept secret in the world, but uh, it's so much deserved. You know, you think about, you know, there are two schools that come to mind that start with G that were, were powers when, when Izzo was on Heathcote's bench, you know, I think of George and I think of Georgia tech and I, Georgia Tech is a, a bitter pill for me because I, I want to root for them with my loyalties to uh, the city of Atlanta, but I'll uh, arch checkered pass with them. But anyway, you know, when Bobby Cremens was coaching Georgia Tech and 
the original uh, Big John on the bench for uh, um, Georgetown. I mean, that's our program could be in that situation. You know that oh, you guys used to be good a couple decades ago. Tom Izzo kept it afloat, and not only kept it afloat, went to Final Fours, kept the streak alive for getting to the tournament. I don't care what Michigan fans have to say; the streak is still intact. You know, think about the the miracles that he's pulled off. No, nobody likes losing in the first weekend. Nobody likes you know, dropping games to Middle Tennessee State and, you know, all of the babbling that's in the comment section. But, boy, we could have it so much worse. And I'm so thankful, and I know you are too, for everything that this guy has done for Michigan State basketball. Yeah, I have – I mean, that's the thing. I have no idea where this uh, road goes where when it ends. But, um, you know, I'm thinking Thomas, <laughs> Thomas Kelly, you know. He's younger, and hopefully he can bring a little of that uh, swagger that recruits like. And you do see it with Juwan Howard, but you see it in East Lansing with Mel Tucker. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, like I said, it's down the road, but I dread that day. And I mean, I hope Thomas Kelly is just as good of a coach as Izzo or even better, if possible. But look, this is the way I see it, man. Look Look at his conference titles. You look at his Final Fours. You look at all that, and he's done it in half the time as a pretty much nationally acclaimed top ten coach of all time, and he did it with one less, uh, with uh, one less incident than Jim Beheim. <laughs> so, look to me, Tom is a top five coach in the history of the game because some of the people who people are rating higher are Bill Self, who's a dirtbag, and John Calipari, who's a dirtbag, and these proven cheaters and. Look, I mean, you hate to say it because you love the character of him and you love uh, all the teaching moments and the books and all that type of stuff that John Wooden has. But let's be real, man. He 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 was a pioneer in regards to, to UCLA paying players. And so you, you take all of that into consideration. I'm not saying John Wooden's not a top five coach of all time. I'm not saying something that stupid. But it's stuff you got to consider. And look, Izzo always done it the right way. So I'm happy he's here. I'm happy he's locked in. I know you were rocking the, on the boat on the edge a little bit for a while, but that kind of dissipated with the Cassius Winston run. And look, I mean, I think it's obvious that he just deserves it, but yep. It's a big picture thing. And, and is, you know, we all, I think we got to be thankful and tip our hat to this guy. If he had lowered his standards, to where like Bill Self and some of these other guys, I'm sure he would have a second national title by now. But <laughs> probably have three or four. Yeah, he wasn't willing to scoop into the gutter like some of these other guys, and and, and that's really really hard in college basketball. So, um, all the props in the world. I'm glad he's one of ours. You know, Hall of Famer and living legend. So it's great that we'll get to see him for a few more. Yeah, and well, not only did he not scoop into the gutter, he. Uh... <laughs> there's testimony of DJ walking out the second money's talked about. And so if anything, there's just, it just makes it that much better to me because some coaches do do this on the DL and keep it relatively quiet, but there's actual proof of Izzo on two occasions saying, no, I'm not going to pay you. And that's why people decommitted or didn't go to the school. Bowen and Amoni Bates. So I look, this is as good as it gets. Uh, but it is football season. So let's do a little preseason fun, just a little Spartan superlative game. 
Uh, I know a lot of these times when this game's played, it's always best this, best that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but look, things aren't always perfect. You know, you rarely get a perfect season by any stretch of the imagination, whether it be a loss, an injury, you know, um, a, a, a player bad getting call the end zone in South Bend that, yeah. that ruins a national title shot. But I, I still haven't James gotten Winston's over that. Life. My hand still hasn't gotten over there. You were <laughs> at my house, I think, when I was watching that game. Man. My hand was yeah. all jacked up for like a month. But anyways, so look, some some bad things do happen. Uh, most overrated thing about Michigan State this year. I'm not going to name a player. I'm going to name the fact that a number and not a player's jersey, but the number that's been attached to us with preseason rankings. I hate, hate, hate preseason rankings and preseason, you know, awards list because I think it sets people up for failure more than a motivational piece. And Michigan State right now, there's a couple unknowns. The O-line is as thin as notebook paper. The secondary is like wet notebook paper at times. And then who the heck is our place kicker? You know, I'm told it's Jack Stone. But, you know, Coughlin's, uh, yeah, he was a little iffy last year, and we've talked about this quite a bit. But those are three areas that, you know, I would love to say that Michigan State is a top-10 team again, and everything is awesome, everything is good. But the O-line, the secondary, and place kicking are big question marks in my mind. I think for me, right now, they're probably somewhere between 16 and 20, but we'll see. I'm not. I'm going with the guy who's shown up on a couple of watch lists this season or this preseason, and that's Xavier Henderson. He's very Eric Smith-like to me, probably a better version of it in regard to his Mm -hmm. pass coverage, but just in regard to a safety that just plays better on or closer to the line, I don't think that he's all that great in coverage. Um, I think just given the amount of watch lists that he's popped up on, I think it's just because of his longevity. And look, he's a good football player, but there's not really anywhere else where you're looking like, God dang, that guy's overrated. That guy's overrated. You know, I think this is where it is. And like I said, he takes angles like a fifth grader. (laughs) And so it, it concerns me a little bit that he is the deepest guy on the field not named Angelo Gross, and that that's concerning to me. So that, that's where I'm at with that. Um, look, you yeah, do most it does, over... su- it does surprise me the love that he gets. Um, you know, you see some of the preseason lists, and uh, um, Big Ten just had one recently. Uh, former Buckeye was running his list of uh, best players in the league, and it did surprise me that Henderson was so high on the list. But maybe it surprised it really, me that really... he was on the list. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you're right. It does speak to his longevity. You know, I'm probably going to go out of order a little bit here, but, you know, segue there. My most improved guy on the defensive side of the ball, I think, will be Ronald Williams um, for the same reason. Here's a 60 year kid. Everybody knows he played for Alabama, at least sparingly. Anytime kids, not named Kenneth Walker III, but anytime. You know, kids transfer into a new program. It's, it's getting used to things, and, and he was banged up a little bit. Mel Tucker said it best. The secondary's got to improve. we got nowhere to go but up, and I think if he stays healthy, 
um, he could be a big benefit to those guys in the back end. Yeah, well, uh, you said most improved, so I guess we will skip around uh, from the order that I had uh, right now. <laughs> Hijack this already. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with, just based off sheer usage, Keon Coleman. Um, he came on at the end of last year, seven catches, 57 yards, and touchdown. Uh, his one catch being the only score against Ohio State in uh, the that uh, bloodbath in Columbus. So that that's who I'm going with just because of his usage. Yeah, I would. I'd love to to think that you're right on that one, and then that you. I told you so when we get into bowl season. Um, that receiving core, you know, Jaden Reed's going to draw a lot of attention and, and guys like Coleman will definitely have a chance to pull some balls in. My guy there is, is Trey Mosley. Uh, I think he could really turn into not only a great second option, but this is a kid who's could get some reps on Sundays. I'm not saying he's a first, second, third round pick or anything crazy, mm-hmm. but he's had some flashes of brilliance and Peyton Thorne will find him. You know, if this old line can block long enough and, and, you know, give these guys a chance. Man, there are weapons all over the field. I can't wait. Well, well, first off, mostly can play special teams as well. So that's huge. Right. Um, not necessarily as a returner, but you do see him lined up as a gunner. But the reason for Coleman, go look at Mosley's stats last year as a third receiver. And granted, part of, it, part of the season, Jalen Naylor was out. But Trey Mosley had over 600 yards. And so Keon Coleman might even be the number two receiver. We don't know for sure. Um, I'm guessing he's going to be three. I was saying two all summer, but now as we get closer to the season, I'm thinking Mosley's going to end up taking that uh, second spot. So just I'm, I'm anticipating Keon Coleman to have a 500 yards this season because nobody knows about him. People knew about Mosley last year. They couldn't stop him in the third slot. So that that's the route I'm going. Um Best newcomer. Uh, Barker, the transfer in um, at tight end. I think uh, and just as you were talking about uh, the balls for the wide receivers, I was going to ask you if you thought the emergence, re-emergence of the tight end position with, with Barker getting some, um, some love there and some reps, do you think that'll take away from guys like Coleman? I don't. Because I, I, I think you still saw Hayward do enough damage. Um, I think there's going to be a little more reliance on it. But even then, Trey Mosley was in Montori Foster were still putting up really good numbers uh, as Hayward was emerging. And so that I, I don't think that that's going to change it. Um, it might take away touchdowns mm-hmm. as uh, you get closer to the red zone, but that's not going to change what happens between the 20s so i'm, I'm already I'm, having visions of josiah price in the back of the end zone if if this barker kid can do for us what he did against us um with that ill-fated illinois game i i've always been a fan of michigan state utilizing the tight end and i feel like, like now uh that position is very very solid i hope these again not to beat a dead horse but that we can get some blocking out of the tight end position too because guys up front are going to need it and, uh, I mean, you, you hear the coaching staff, cars pick that up. Hunt can do it, so that's not a concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the converted punters are best uh, blocking tight end. Great. But, <laughs> um, yeah, you heard, Bar- you heard Barker. He knows how to win in the woodshed. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't yep. orange and 
blue. But anyways, I've got a mere speed. <laughs> That's a six foot four SEC cornerback. I don't have another reason for this, but yeah, yeah, you can't I'm teach think- that. Yeah, like he's a six four SEC corner. Amir Speed is going to be the guy who decides if this defense is going to be good. Because if Ronald Williams is your number two corner, you're doing all right. If he's your number one, you might have some issues on the other side of the ball. I So I'm going with Amir Speed because, like I say, it has to be him. If it's not him, I think there's issues. So that that's the route I'm going. Because I think also when you look at Barker, and you look at Broussard and Berger, they're all splitting time. Barker with Carr and Hunt, and then mm-hmm. Broussard with, well, the aforementioned Berger, Davion Prim, Elijah Collins, mm-hmm. whatever, Jordan Simmons, whatever that <laughs> part of the depth chart looks at at running back when you have five guys who could probably rush for, I'll say, 800 yards dur- during the course of a season if they were the starter, just because I don't go ahead. Um, mm-hmm. unless he like really pat stats against a low level FBS school. Um, I, I mean, Elijah Collins had a, almost a thousand missing a game and a half or being on the bench for a game and a half rather when everyone thought Hayward was going to be the guy moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so you look at, you look at that, that's, that's why I'm going with speed. Speed's going to be the guy at one of the cornerback spots. He needs to be good. And a six foot four SEC corner, like I said, you heard Jayden Reed talk about how tough he was. And when you're getting that praise from the best receiver not at Ohio State in the conference, you know, I think that says a lot. Uh, I'm gonna did I already um, do the under. Do we already no, do underrated? But, uh, no, I don't believe so. And I'm, I'm kind of all over the board, so that's fine. Um, I do want to segue, though. You're talking about SEC size, but also speed. Man, I cannot wait, a newcomer, to see Aaron Brule line up at linebacker. The guy for 6'1", 225, gets an amazing amount of, of – he gets in the backfield, causes chaos. Just watching him shed blocks – Today I had a chance to watch some film on him, his, his days at Mississippi State. I think that's a kid who can come in and be a ball hawk right away. You know, I think of guys like Danico Salen, you know, that, uh, you know, whether they're swinging the ball on a, a pitch or a, a screenplay or whatever, there was 28. There was Superman. And I think um, Brule could be that kind of guy too. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to get a lot of time up. That was something that uh, Sean and I talked about. You know, is it what's that? What's the second and third and fourth linebacker look like? Um, and I'm sure we'll like you look at Darius Snow, you look at Berlady, you look at Jacoby Windman. All, all three of those guys, I'll, I'll live with whoever starts, even if you start to factor in, you know, BVS and my. Uh, or however you pronounce his name. Yeah, I was going to let uh, you pronounce him. I knew exactly who you were talking about, but uh, yeah, number go 10. on. <laughs> number, number 10 on defense. But yeah. Uh... <laughs> you know what? If he didn't spend so much time in the transfer portal, maybe I would have known his name already because I stopped trying to pronounce it once I heard he was transferring. So, <laughs> But yeah, uh, most underrated player, I'm going Ronald Williams, man. 
like like I said, I feel like he came on strong at the end of last year. Uh, he may be the number two corner, which I think is going to make him look even that much better. Uh, you know, he struggled at the beginning of the year, started to get the system down, started to get the footwork down, and uh, was able to come up and stop those 10-yard curls that were just eating Michigan State alive. Uh, there were still issues with it on uh, the other side of the ball, but when it was to him, he came up and he made the plays. Mm-hmm. I can roll with that. Uh, I am going to go rogue a little bit. I, I shared my answers with you earlier, and I, I gave it some thought. And beating up the offensive line, maybe that's because a thousand years ago that was part of the position group that I played with. But um, the guy that uh, that that I think could make a huge difference, and right now we're not really talking about him a whole lot, although I see some places are, is the transfer in from Washington State, Brian Green. Uh, when you listen or you read the stuff that the other linemen are, are saying about this guy, you know, here's a, a guy who's well-seasoned, who, who had a, a lot of uh, work out in the uh, Pac-12. He's coming in immediately. And, and some of the guy's quotes, it was like, we had played with this kid for three or four years. You know, that he's played a variety of positions um, because let's be honest, due to injuries and, you know, different things, there's not a lot of experience up front. And this is a guy right away that can be a glue guy for the offensive line. So um, he's somebody that I think is a little bit under the radar that uh, we'll, we'll come to appreciate if he can stay healthy. Yeah, he, he, he was one of those guys we talked about. We don't know if it's going to be him or Carrick ultimately when we did our offensive line preview. Uh, but whoever it isn't is going to be the first offensive lineman off the bench. And I think, uh, what, I mean, it could be him. It, if Carrick is healthy, though, it may not be. But I, that's the thing is I don't know about Carrick's health. So uh, Green could definitely uh, fall into that category as underrated. He was second-team All-Pac-12 a couple of years ago. So that makes – I mean, that just in, makes it a little more enticing and you know, in regard to seeing a who starts at that right guard spot, but B, you know, what are we getting out of it? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm uh, looking forward to that. Uh, and I don't mean to be a negative Nancy about it, but I just feel like with the offensive line, they're in a car crash every single snap. Dudes are going to get hurt going to need flexibility. You're going to need guys off the bench. So he's the perfect piece for this group. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he's got the versatility to play either guard spot. Uh, I think he can almost play anywhere in the middle, really. Mm-hmm. But he's got that versatility as well, and I think that makes him a big weapon. I feel like it's kind of like the newcomer. Uh, my newcomer reason for speed is it's going to be him because he's going to be thrown into that role. Well, mm-hmm. I guess I had the same type of thing with Coleman as well. You know, it's going to be him because he's going to be thrown into that role, and uh, that that makes all the sense in the world. Just a straight up best player, man, most talented player. Who you got on the offensive side of the ball? It's Jaden Reed. I was so thrilled that he came back. I understand why Naylor left. You know, Naylor had been banged up, and and you know, being a speed guy, and it it looks as though, you know, obviously it's the hype machine is in full force, both NFL and college. Um, he's starting to impress people in Minnesota. So, you know, that's, I, I was sad to see him go, but I would have been absolutely crushed if Reed left. And I was surprised as heck that he did come back. And I mean, I just feel like every time Peyton Thorne throws the ball up there, 
you know, he's going to catch it. He's going to go get it. So he's, you know, of a team full of weapons, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Jaden Reed is special. Yeah. And, you know, he, he was one of the two guys I was looking at. Um, I, I ended up going the other way. I ended up going with Jacob Slade. He plays in ugly position. His numbers aren't going to be there just because of what position he plays. He's not going to get all the sacks, but, you know, I, I bring the stat up occasionally. Uh, the top five uh, pressuring duos in college football last year, only one of them had a defensive tackle. And that was Panashuk and Slade. And it helps that Panashuk got a ton of pressures. Mm-hmm. But J- Jacob Slade is going to be a complete stud. You see him on these watch lists as well. He's he's pretty much a preseason All-American in a couple of uh, public publications. And so I'm, I'm stoked to see what he brings with just one more year of being the guy. Um, his ability to eat it up the middle and help the Russians – Help Cal Halliday right behind him. I I think he does that to an extent that a lot of normal, uh, your average fan doesn't fully appreciate. I'm going with Jacob Slade as best player on the team. Overall, uh, it doesn't matter offense, defense. You think he's the uh, the single best football player we have? I legitimately believe that. Yes. You uh. I- yeah, when you told me that earlier, I'm like, I, yeah, you're right. So I, I love <laughs> Cal Halliday. I, I love, uh, you know, Peyton Thorne. And there's some guys that, that on this team that, uh, that are fantastic. But, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, you know, for me, if I'm going defensive side of the ball, it, it, it is Slade, but it also is Cal Halliday. Um, and I want to see the growth for uh, Darius Snow. I, I'm not – putting huge expectations for him, moving positions, moving into linebacker. I think he's going to struggle for a bit. We may not see it right away because of the competition, you know, Western Michigan yeah. and, you know, Akron and, and Well, Washington. the competition at linebacker, too, you're not going to actually sit down and watch him. Yeah. You know, he's going to be switching out with Winman and Berlay and Halliday in some situations. And so it, you're not going to watch him, like, specifically. Right, right. But, yeah, look, you know, everyone always does, like, oh, so-and-so was the best player, blah, blah, blah. Like, all right, 1998. You you, you know what I mean? 1998, you look in the NBA, Carl Malone won the MVP. I think that's Mm -hmm. a – I think it's bogus because I think there's a certain word missing, and that is the word value. Carl Malone had the best season, I think. Mm-hmm. That you hear, but you take him off Utah. I think Utah is the second best team in the West behind Houston. You mm-hmm. take Michael Jordan off the Bulls. I think it's a different story. Michael Jordan is the most valuable player. So there's always a difference between value and best. So if you're looking at the most valuable player on this team, it's Peyton Thorne. I don't think, I don't even think that's a question. I know we're getting short on time, but huge devil's advocate. If you really talked about value at their position, and you're probably going to roll on the floor laughing at me. What about the dark rim glasses warrior, Bryce Berenger, how he flips the field on people? Oh, 
that's that's good. And here's the thing: if I've seen, if I have seen Noah can actually throw a football during the course of a game, or a competitive game, or just something where it's even a <laughs> not, not bench point pressing game. on on Twitter. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's all if, I know if, about him. If if I have seen Noah Kim throwing a football, maybe I would think differently. But it's just because of the lack of experience behind Thorne. So that's where I've got to go with it. Um, look, we're, we're going to wrap with our overs and unders. Michigan State's support is projected at seven and a half wins. <laughs> Didn't they learn last year? Keep doubting yeah. us. That's fine. Um, okay. To be, I, I agreed with last year's. I'm not. I, I mean, you can't really argue it because of what happened the season before. Yeah. Even I get though I, even though I've been clamoring for Peyton Thorne since the second he stepped on campus. That is true. I'll validate that. I I have heard you say that numerous occasions for a long time. Yeah, and so look, I've I've got the over that I think. I think there's a couple coin flip games, mm-hmm. and it's there's the problem is is I think there's four of them, and it's Washington, it's Wisconsin, it's Michigan, and it's Penn State. I'm gonna say one is not as much of a coin flip. Um, yeah, we got the Michigan State's got to travel out there, and I, I get that. The only but, reason I'm saying that is because the Big Ten struggles when they go out west. Yeah, that that's the only reason that's I'm true. saying that. I, but you look at a team that lost its two first round corners, and you have Jaden Reed on the other side. Like it looks like a good matchup for Michigan State. Um, I'm in. They got they can get shredded via the run game. We've seen that, even though it was with Hassan Haskins, who's, to the best of my knowledge, a different animal than anybody that Michigan State has. I I loved Hassan Haskins last year, um, but I think that you you've got that ability. So maybe Washington, not as much of a coin flip per se, maybe with a weighted coin on one end, but hmm. I'm. But you have so many coin flip games, it's hard. But Penn State is a should-win game, even though it's going to be out in Happy Valley, just because Michigan State's a better team and they're better coached. Right. That's the biggest weakness Penn State has is James Franklin. James Franklin will do James Franklin things late in games, and we benefit. So. Yeah, and, well, everybody benefits except for Penn State. (laughs) And so – Penn, Penn State's there. Look, you're going to lose to Ohio State, but other than that, it's Washington, it's Michigan, it's Michigan, and it's Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, I think, is a very winnable game as well. You got to take the over here. It feels like easy money. I do not bet on Michigan State. I did lay money down on the seven and a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I feel like Wisconsin is down a little bit by their own standards. Um, the Wisconsin game, I believe, is in uh, East Lansing, correct? I'm not sure. Um, for me, it's 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 nine and three. I I got a bad bad feeling about the game in Washtenaw County. Um, I don't have as bad a feeling about the Washington game, but I feel like Michigan State will find a way to lose a game they shouldn't <clears throat> Purdue. That uh, 
it'll be it'll be a quirky game. It'll be a weird one. And of course, Ohio State. They're the class of the league. They're probably going to the playoffs. So I've got um, losing to Ohio State. Uh, one that I don't even want to say, and then one that will uh, well didn't see that one coming. Yeah, and that that's probably one that that's that, whoa I didn't see that one. Um, mm. so yeah. there, I mean, there's that option as well. Even though I said it's a coin flip game, look, I'm just saying that because I'm the skeptic and trying to, you know, taper my expectations a little bit. But yeah, we, we're going to get rolling. Like I said, hopefully I'll be able to drop that big announcement for the podcast uh, this weekend sometime. If not, it should be ready by next weekend. I Like I said, I'm looking forward to that. So be sure to keep your eyes out on the Facebook page for that. We are going to wrap it up uh, today, though. Chris, thanks for coming on. For Chris Stan, yeah, I'm Tyler Hayward. Always a pleasure. This is The Trouble with the Snap.